Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we are here to discuss Season 3, Episode 3 of Star Trek Discovery, People of Earth. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my f- co-host slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Hooster himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I'm here, and we're here. I'm glad that we're all here, and I guess we're going to talk some Star Trek. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man, we are going to get into it. Yes. And from the Ready Room Studios in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, we have the Trek historian, Jonathan Shorts. How you doing, man? I am good, man. I'm good. Very tired. Been a very, very busy work week with a lot of hours. Oh, wow. So much so, so I have not watched a single episode of Trek other than the third episode of Discovery Season 3. Well, that sucks. I even missed four days of gym, so. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know it's serious if you're missing gym. Jeez. Uh, also on the podcast, we have the Stargate story, Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Once again, I'm glad to be here. Interested to talk about this episode. And unlike Jonathan, my work yet, my work week hasn't been that hectic. So I've had a chance to watch some more Star Trek. Oh, awesome sauce. Guys, you can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review, telling a friend. If you have a review idea, you can send that along with anything else you want us to know or talk about to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all of the social medias as it were. Now, we don't really have news per se, but I think John wants to mention the passing of one of his favorite actors. Yeah, man, it was a sad week to hear about my dear son Connery passed away at the age of 90. Uh, man, and I don't think he needs introduction to most people, but some of the best movies I've ever seen has had him in it. Uh, great actor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he lived a long life. 90s. 90 is a pretty seems like a pretty fulfilling <laughs> uh, uh, time span to live. So, yeah. Um, hearts and minds. And yeah, go watch some Bond movies or something. Yeah, absolutely. So we are here once again to discuss Star Trek Discovery people of earth which aired october the 29th 2020 directed by jonathan frakes written by boyan kim and erica lapolt finally reunited burnham and the uss discovery crew journey to earth eager to learn what happened to the federation in their absence spoilers red alert all hands stand the battle station i give you the right you cannot destroy an idea at ease before you spray something And I'm going to point to Cal for his his quick um, synopsis of the beats of the episode. All right. So my brief synopsis is going to be reunion, typical episode, mystery, in credits. There you go. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound very fulfilling for you, Cal. <laughs> I can't wait to dive in a little bit more on this. I'm not saying it was bad. That's not that's not what I mean. But if I'm like giving a just a brief synopsis off of the top of my kind of running on fumes head, that's what you get. Running low on dilithium, one might say. Mm, exactly. Uh, well, let's go around the horn and get the high level view of this episode. What you think? What you thought of it? And let's start with you, Jeremy. What is your high level view of this episode, man? Well, let me point out to start out by saying I did enjoy the episode, but I think Kyle hit it right on the head. This episode was needed to get to the next episode. Hmm. Interesting. Jonathan? So, I have an issue. Mm Mm-mm. It's actually a good issue, but maybe a bad. I absolutely love this episode as much as I love the first two. And I feel like I'm going to love everyone from here on out. Now, why? Is it because of being so long without it, going through lower decks. Uh, I don't know. And if it is that good, in my opinion, of every other episode, it's going to be hard to critique it and talk about it. Because, you, you know, it's, you don't want to hear somebody just giving you Rosie all the time. But yeah. I mean, that, that's what I got from it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's some differences. There's some, this took a different path. But to me, awesome episode. Wow. Wow. Well, I like to hear that, though. I like to hear that. Uh, Cal, what, what are your thoughts on the episode, man? So I'm going to follow up on what Jonathan just said. I thought it was a very good episode. And whenever I say typical episode, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a sense of 
in a way, this is the most typical Star Trek. And again, I don't mean that badly by saying typical Star Trek, but I think this was the most discovery has been as far as your formulated formula with what people expect a Star Trek episode to be. That's what it was. That being said, love the reunion, love the way the characters played off of each other. I liked how they tied a little bit of mystery of things that we've talked about in previous episodes that I'm sure we'll get into. But all in all, awesome episode. Enjoyed it. Yeah, for me, I definitely feel uh, just like you, Cal, um, and John as well. I I, I loved every part of this. Uh, I feel like this season is going to be a lesson in Starfleet values, <laughs> starting with number one, diplomacy. And I feel like we're going to hit that, keep hitting some Starfleet or slash Federation beat throughout the rest of the season. Um, and But I very much in, enjoyed the message here. Uh, the message that maybe you just talk sometimes to, to, to take care of your problems. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely feel like it had that, it had this Star Trek nice bow on the end, but still we got more mystery, um, to boot by the end of it. So yeah. And you know, just to add a little bit more, uh, I get kind of going off of what you said, Clarence, like you getting that good Star Trek like feel like I think Kyle kind of alluded at alluded to that as well. But, you know, and it kind of makes me think back of what I've enjoyed from the enterprise series so much is like, you're seeing Starfleet and Star Trek built from the beginning. And like, we're getting to see that again. Like you go TNG and DS nine and Voyager, like you see the end result of a lot of work and a lot of trial and error and a lot of, a lot of good things and bad put together to make this grand scenery, this grand thought. Like we're getting to see that in its infancy again. And that to me made this awesome. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. And can I say this had one of the more, one of the most satisfying moments of this whole see this whole series in this episode, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll talk for me. Okay. For me, which we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. What a tease. <laughs> So we start the episode by getting into the backstory slash montage of what Michael Burnham has been up to for the last year, which led to us getting more information about a little bit more information about the burn. So um, even before the burn, we we learned that dilithium supplies were beginning to dry up. Federation tries alternate turn, uh, forms of warp drive designs. None of them proved reliable. Then all dilithium went inert and any shit with the active warp core blew up with an active warp core blew up. You know, I don't know if I had that picture clearly in my mind of all the ships just blowing up simultaneously. We may have talked about it on the last episode we reviewed, but, but they, they spill it out here in this episode. You see everything, uh, just go kablooey, <laughs> uh, in the, in the scene here, very own in the episode. So, um, no one knows if it was intentional or natural disaster. So I find all that interesting. Also, Burnham becomes a courier searching for clues on what may have caused this burn. So so any thoughts on Burnham's newfound life in this past year as a courier? And do we think it's well, we know it's changing, but how do we feel about that change that we see from her in this episode? And I'll point to you, Cal. What do you what do you think about that? Totally love it. Absolutely love it. I think think that this is something that we don't often see, and it's something that we do explore some in Doctor Who, but I don't think we explore enough. But I like the fact that Burnham is not the same Burnham that we saw in the first episode, because I know if you put any of the four of us in that same situation a year later, we wouldn't be the same person for that matter. We're not the same people we were episode one of Discussing track. So, yeah, I loved th- that they went that way. So, so John, like any thoughts on maybe if we fast forward a little bit when, when Burnham is having the conversation with Tilly and, you know, she mentions that Burnham may have given up on discovery and, and just any general thoughts on how that would change her. If she thinks all, everything is gone, we may never see discovery again. Do you think that would lead her to changing in a way that she can't come back from? 
or will this season be a slow progression to her getting back to the run we know? Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. Like, I, so first to kind of comment back on your original question to Kyle, like I love this Burnham that we're getting. And I don't mean this in a physically provocative way, but like she's dirtier and sexier. And not, <laughs> not I mean, really, and not, you slide I, I don't devil. get me wrong. Not like, not like sexy, like, ooh, I'm on her. Like, but it's just, it's, she's appealing, more appealing now. Like, we took that Starfleet and washed it off. And now she has an edge to her, but also a smoothness, a swagger, an edge. I, I love that about her. And I think because she had given up on Discovery, which would have been the last thing to tie her to Starfleet, because now we're in a time where the Federation and Starfleet, albeit all purposes, it, it just doesn't exist. So what are you to do? Like, if she knew she was going to find Discovery, she had a reason to hold on to those values. But when there's no one else to allow uh, ally herself with, she has to become part of the current situation to get where she needs to go, which is to, I guess, which is weird to say, she needs to establish the Federation again. And it kind of goes back to the dirty beginnings of the Federation and Starfleet. Like, she had to get to the nitty-gritty of it to build it again. And, hey, I don't have Discovery anymore, so I'm free to let myself go so I can accomplish this goal. Yeah, it was beautiful, even though we only saw it for, like, what two minutes of screen time it was beautiful to even have the notion of her assimilating into this new environment and having to maybe change a few of the principles maybe not change so much but you know shift them a little bit in this new world that she's in and we'll get to it but we we get all of these um hints of things between her and book that we don't actually see on screen but it's like sounds exciting and they're talking about maneuvers and, and, and tricks. And yeah, I feel like that's so good. Um, Jeremy, I'm throwing to you real quick. Um, on the scale of Saru to Giorgio, <laughs> where, this is gonna where, be interesting. where do you think Burnham falls in that on the, along that scale? Because she does blatantly defy I'm not going to say defy orders, but she kind of does something very sneakily in this episode. You know, ask for forgiveness later, which Burnham never would have said that before. You know, so what do you think on how does she rate on that scale? I, well, I would have liked to have seen. Let me say first, I would have liked to have seen more of what she's been through for the previous year to make a more accurate judgment. Because and, and, I, and like I agree with everybody else, I, I like the new Burnham. It's almost less Vulcan in a sense of, you know, she's more I'm, and I don't mean this in a bad way. She's more emotional. She's she's more, you know, is less of a sit down, think it through, come up with a plan that we've seen. She's more of, let's go do this. This is going to work. Let's make this happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure because of the year she's had this new, in this new world, she's had to live like that. And I want to say, and I would have loved to see more of that. But I think it's caused her to be more of a closer to Giorgio that she's confident she's going to be comfortable with because she's had to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Jeremy. You said less Vulcan. Until this point, I've forgotten she was part of the Vulcan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like she was raised Vulcan. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely have forgotten all of that. Like she had not stolen that one bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not saying good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying that she just, that stoicism is gone. Yeah. With with that being said, you know, I got it written down here, reunited and and it feels so good or nah, you know, <laughs> is, is she going to be able to work within the confines of discovery as number one after she's been basically, again, like gallivanting with Booker, you know, doing tricks. It remind me a lot of Better Call Saul and uh, Kim Wexler and Jimmy Slipping Jimmy, but they're out here doing chick tricks, uh, you know, to free the space, the trans worms, and they're doing all this crazy stuff as carriers. Do we think she's going to be able to assimilate back into the Discovery crew after all of that, or will it just are we just going to expect it to be a different Burnham? So I'm kind of thinking of it like this, you know, if we look back at Voyager when they integrated the Marquis into the crew. I mean, for the most part, they were Federation. They were part of the Federation, but they were often employ marquee tactics mm. to get things done. So I'm, I'm I'm leaning towards that sort of mentality. 
Yeah, I like that. I, I really like that thinking because I think they have the opportunity to take the best of what was Starfleet or, or the Federation and reinvent it for a new time and a new situation. So I don't think, I mean, I, th I think it would be out of character or out of story or whatever the appropriate thing to say is for them to try to recreate something that was relevant 900 years ago. So this new Starfleet that they create should be unique. And, and I think you hit it perfectly on what you just said. One thing I do want to say about uh, Burnham, though, is let's not forget, we as the viewer know that they were going to be reunited. She as a character in that entire year, she probably thought she'd never see them again, maybe wish she would. But after a couple of months, I'm pretty sure as a human being, you would go, eh, chances are I'm not going to see these people again. Yeah. And see, I'm, I'm not thinking she ever gave up on seeing them again, but she was, you know, just the longer it went, the more and more that was on the back burner of just like, in case I'm able to run into them, I'll have this information ready. Yeah. It, and I, I can personally attest from being in a situation where you, you know, someone's out there, but you may never see them again. I, I can definitely see how that would affect, affect her as a person. And, you know, just, she's going to be a little different after that experience. <laughs> And you know, I kind of, this is going to be shocking to you guys, <laughs> but I, I actually, and I enjoy this tie-in in my mind, whether they meant for it to be a tie-in or not, not really a tie-in, but this whole, like, Michael and Saru, the, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but, you know, her being his number one, a uh, couple of things. Number one, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the crew will have to adapt more to her than her adapt back to them because of the time they're in. Number two, I equate this a lot to the last conversation between Mariner and her mom on Lower Decks. You know, her mom kind of says, <clears throat> you know, instead of fighting you, I really should be leaning on you because your fresh ideas and your out-of-the-box thinking will help me in the long run. And I think that's where this is going, this is where this show is heading. Like Discovery will need Burnham's demeanor and the way she handles things. Now they're going to need that going forward and they're going to have to learn to kind of be more like her. Yeah, I, mm, I tend to agree with you, man. And let's just go ahead and get into it. It's you, Saru. And Chain of Command dictates it. I, 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 know, I don't know if it's ever been me, which I also thought to myself, I also thought to myself, I don't know if it's ever been Michael Burnham. All right, Captain. Thoughts on this moment? Saru is now Captain Saru of the Discovery. Any thoughts on Captain Saru and maybe just the emotional impact of that moment of him sitting in that chair as now the official Captain of Discovery? This is the moment I was talking about. This is one of the most satisfying moments of the show, of this, of the whole past three seasons, where he's finally in the Captain's chair permanently. And, you know, I think... The look on Stanit's face after she said that kind of described that to a T. You know, Stanit's, Stanit's, the look on his face was like that satisfied, this is the way it should be, this is what I want. And pretty much the rest of the bridge crew, with the exception of Giorgio, I think she kind of had maybe a... She's <laughs> like, why are you wasting this power? But, <laughs> I, I mean, I think... I think that's like you said, that's the way it could be. I, I never I never I never thought it would be a good idea for Michael to be captain of Discovery. Uh, so, like I said, Stamets, the look on his face said a thousand words to me. Any thoughts, Kyle? No, I think they said it perfectly. The only thing I would add to that is we we did mention Giorgio. I think she has a unique story that we're seeing unfold, and we, and I won't get into it if we aren't ready to get into it, but I really like what they're doing with her. But you guys said it perfectly. I couldn't add anything to what you said because it was perfect, so kudos. And let me just say this real quick, and we'll pivot into maybe your idea you have about Giorgio because I'm curious about what you have to say, but I just love the moment after he sits in the chair and gives that great speech, and they all just in unison, like, aye, aye, Captain, you know, that's the freaking beautiful moment. But I do have some reservations. I do have Thanks, some. Clarence. 
Yeah, just to interrupt you. Uh, one eye is good enough. They're Starkly. not pirates. Yeah, they're not pirates. <laughs> Wait. Oh yeah, my bad. They do say eye. <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> you're funny. You're uh, still thinking about the curse of the black pearl. Oh god. <laughs> but 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 I do think Saru might be a bit over his head as much as I love Saru. And hear me out here. Hear me out. In in the 2250s, Saru would have been an excellent captain in the environment that we know as Starfleet. With the with the securities around what that entails. Now, I'm not saying that now he's not going to be a great captain, but I do think it's going to be immensely harder for him in this new futuristic frontier where every encounter. And and, I mean, it's, it's par for the course for Star Trek anyway. Every encounter is different, but it is to an extreme in this situation where they have nothing to fall back on. It seems like a George O would be perfect for this situation, but I don't know if Saru's by the book mentality can foster to can be be great in this environment. Does anybody have any thoughts on that or am I just off base? This is kind of where I want to lean back on Voyager, where Janeway was often, you know, by the book, but she would lean on that Marquis mentality to get her through those tough spots. And make it work within, well, not always, but make it work within Federation guidelines. And to throw in a little more to that, with the whole purpose of this season, season pretty much build their goal is to bring back the Federation. Like you need Saru as a captain for that example. Yeah. And Saru, and just by nature, Saru cannot be what is going to be needed to build a federation, but Burnham cannot be the captain that the federation should exemplify, if that makes sense. Yeah, I kind of, especially in way in 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 the shadow of her last year, I feel like she she's just different now. Right. So I, l- let me add one thing real quick, which is I'm going to bring up something, Clarence, I believe you brought up in our last episode where we were talking about the change in it may have been the first episode, but I think it was the last episode where we were talking about the change in Saru from first episode. And now that he doesn't have the you know fear reflex of yeah. how the character is changing, I'm not saying that he's not capable ever at all but i'm saying that there's new facets of him that i think are possible yeah and and and, and maybe it was the episode itself that pushed me further to to think the way i'm thinking in that statement that Giorgio made about the uh, unstoppable force hitting the unmovable wall and she called saru the unmovable wall and of course Either Burnham or the future itself is the unstoppable force. I'm not sure, <laughs> but <laughs> but if he's the if he's the immovable wall up against an unstoppable force, yeah, I think he's going to have a hard row ahead of him. I don't know. You, I mean, you're right. You are absolutely right. But I mean, to build a federation, I think that is what he's going to have to be. It's going to suck for him. Like it, it really is going to suck for him and and the discovery, but. If I want a federation based off of the federation we know and love, based off the federation that they left in the past, like Saru will have to be that light. And it is going to beat the crap out of him and it's going to cause for a lot of trouble. They're going to go through a lot of things they shouldn't have to go through. And we see that in this episode, like the discovery takes damage because of the values Saru has. But I mean, at the end of the day, that is the values that we're going to fight for. Hmm. So, Cal, I want to ask you, you, you mentioned uh, a theory or maybe a comment you had about Jojo. Um, I'll let you go ahead and, and Yeah, it's interject. not a theory more so as an observation or a speculation, maybe. I guess that's a theory, too. But anyway, um, the way I kind of look at Jojo is we are seeing an opportunity for a character that I don't think we've ever seen in any of the Star Treks, which is... You've taken someone out of the mirror universe. You've deposited that person front and center in the quote-unquote real universe. We saw her last season pretty much be the same Giorgio as Empress 
or Emperor Giorgio, but now I think we're seeing her start to, I don't want to say become more Federation-y, but I predict, and I guess this is a prediction or a theory, I predict that by the end of the season, you will have Giorgio and Saru having a uneasy alliance or maybe mm-hmm. a a good, you know, a good or better respect for each other. I should say that's my prediction. Hmm. Now I have a question for the the Trek story in here. Like, have we ever seen a villain character per se, villain per se, character in Star Trek, uh, make the path to the good side? Hmm. I mean, you could make that argument for Seven, but she wasn't. She was just a drone. I mean, it wasn't like she was evil supreme. Ha ha. <laughs> that was more programming than anything else. Yeah. So I don't think it's ever really been a truly evil person. It's just that their actions were not good, but their end result was noble. Like they were, they were, they were looking, they were trying to do something noble, but they were doing the way they went about it wasn't right. And eventually they were made to understand that they couldn't do the things they were doing if they really wanted that outcome. Yeah. Especially not in the, in the span of uh, a season or, or a show. It, we may have had that arc in the episode of some random character, you know, but definitely not. In the, I don't think as far as like a, a continuing reoccurring character. Um. So let's, let's I want to, I want some more theories because Burnham finally got a message to Terrellesium and received a response, but n- no one had ever heard of Mama Burnham. Do we think Mama Burnham is coming back or is it something? I think we may have talked about this last episode. Or are they just going to say that for next season? Anybody? I think that was kind of their way of getting rid of that. But that's a mama. <laughs> yeah, but but mama's unnecessary to the plot. Yeah. And I, I kind of hate to say I kind of hate to say it that way, but Wait, like Mama served her purpose. I was like, you telling me you're going to get to a future where you don't know anybody but your crew, but your mother is out there. You're not going to go looking for her. Well, I mean, it could be like you know the like the discovery didn't show up till a year later that she hasn't shown up yet. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll take that. Good excuse. Good enough for me. And then when you're dealing with all this time stuff, like (laughs) (laughs) you never know. And I, I, I. I don't know. It may we depend on like we there's a lot we don't know about this season and about this time. And to tie in her mother now would add in another layer of difficulty to the writers. Yeah. Just true. to keep to keep the storyline legit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like so if we tie anything back to the past, then that adds on another responsibility. And I think their freedom their freedom that the writers have right now is what's making this series this season good yeah so what would be cool is if the person who sets her mother on the journey or the path to doing the the things and doing all the things that we've seen and heard that the mother did after she got to the future is actually burnham that puts her on that path that would be cool Hmm. yeah who, who knows man who knows um I do agree with you, John, that it's better to just push it off to later. Maybe we'll revisit it sometime before the season is over, but it's too much going on already to 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 dive back into that. That'll be way too complicated to work with right now. So Burnham on her courier adventures um, managed to pick up a 12 year old message from an Admiral Sienna Tall vowing to wait on anyone who would join him on Earth. Which sends, you know, the discovery via spore drive to Earth and we see the people of Earth. So let's go ahead and walk through the Admiral's storyline, wink, wink, all the way up until the end of the episode reveal. The, so the, 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 the crew spore jumps to Earth, gets boarded by the Earth Defense, United Earth Defense Force led by Captain Nadoye. She's awesome. But a particularly yes, young non-binary yes. character seemed to be up to no good and knows a lot about this ancient ship called the discovery so any thoughts on adira and the reveal on who they are theories are welcome so let's have it john this might be up your alley with the with the trillness of it oh man 
I don't know how far we're going to jump, but uh, I don't usually like to say I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, man, it, I, I, listen, well, before I say that, you know, when I seen her on the ship the first time, you know who I immediately thought about mm. just right off the bat? Ezri. Ezri <laughs> came to mind. I do get that same kind of tone a little bit. Yeah. And that was before I knew anything about Trill Symbiont and anything. I was like, man, that reminds me a lot of Ezri. And then come to find out, she's a Trill. Like, mm, there's so much in this. Like, I, I, we, we, I, I can back up a little bit, but I'll, I'll get to my theory later because I don't want to jump ahead. Uh, well, we can, we can go ahead. I want to go. I want let's go ahead and go down um, the Adira storyline. I will say real quick, she's supposed to be in. I think the showrunners have addressed her as a non-binary character, but they call they or her or she in the episode, which I I don't, I don't know pronouns. I'm horrible at this, but they do call. We just had that conversation earlier. Yeah, we won't go into they that. do say her. They do say her in the episode, so I don't know. Maybe that was the best way to get it across for the normal lame viewer like like me. But I I do I don't understand pronouns, so uh, we'll try to dress it uh, dress her. I mean dress them they right. In this episode, as much as possible, if anybody's listening and there are sensitive to that, uh, uh, we're not trying to fudge it on purpose. The show did say her, so we'll, I guess we'll go with that until we know something better. How about the character? I don't get, I, I don't, I don't understand myself either, but, uh, the character. Yeah, the character. So what do you think about the character of Adora, uh, John? Your theories? You have some. So, um, what do you think about the character? Uh, so, Number one, I love this character, but it, uh, at the same time, like I said, it reminds me of Ezri, and there's parts of Ezri I didn't like, and I kind of seen that come through in this character as well. And it's kind of the, uh, I don't know how you describe it, like the innocent, curious child that really didn't know what's going on, yeah, but like over over their head, like that. That's kind of the vibe. But 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 I get this. I mean, from the bat, you get this, and I heard this on a podcast today. It's a intellectual curiosity. Somebody was talking about like everybody should have an intellectual curiosity, and that's what that's the feel I get from from this character. The only way I could quantify that was like this person has seen more than they're letting on. Like this person has more knowledge than they're on letting on, and come to find out, it's a trio. So. I know we get to the preview of the next episode where we see Burnham in the trill pool. Uh, and this character is also claims to have the symbiont from what's the Admiral's name? Ian Admiral, um, tall, tall, Cena tall. Can you imagine the knowledge from a trill that's lived long through this burn? Yeah. And the knowledge, like what can Burnham do with that knowledge? So, so, let me, I don't let me interject. I don't think Burnham is going to get the trio. I really don't. I think they're going to do some type of joining in the pool when they're both in there to some some type of knowledge transfer, or some type of spiritual ritual or something to where she can see some event or something. I, I, I can probably get on board with that. And I hadn't thought about it quite that way. It's just what I know from DS9 and the episode where they visit trio and Jedzia has to go in the trill pool. Like that pool, really, the liquid, there's nothing special about the liquid other than it has properties that support the symbionts that are in the pool. We see from the preview that there's some kind of interaction that Burnham has in that pool. And the only way you can have it is a symbiont reacting with a symbiont. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I guess we shouldn't spoil the next episode too much, but. Seems like in one of the previews, I saw a scene of where it looked of where it looked like Burnham and someone else on, was on some type of astral plane looking scene. You know, it looked like they weren't in a real place. Uh, so I, I, I just think they're going to be in each other's heads for a little bit. I think that's what's going to happen. And, and they made it a point to point out that this is a human with a trio symbiont. And up until this point, we as viewers assume that was not possible. Only a trio could be joined with a trio. Well, 
Well, so there's, we a Riker, we, there's a Riker, Riker episode when trills are introduced. I think he gets a trill for like 24 hours or something. Yeah, and I don't think that really worked out. Well. It, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But, and I mean, you see that, like, the reason Esri Dex ended up with the Dex symbiont, she was not supposed to be joined at all. She didn't, she didn't qualify for joining. Yeah. Like, she wasn't ready. But the reason she got it, because she was on the ship when, uh, Somehow she was on a ship or something, and she was the only trill on board, so they had to put the symbiont into her. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure this is going to be a situation where you have Admiral Sienna Tall, Sina Tall, and this young character on the ship as well, or where on Earth, and maybe the borders was a reason more trill couldn't visit the planet or something, and she was probably just the last resort to get the symbiote. I don't know. I don't know. That's going to be interesting to play out. So, so we'll, we'll definitely be coming back to that in the next episode as it looks like we're going to be going to trio for that episode. So, um, let's talk a little bit about Tilly's realization that not only she can't see her family anymore, but they're dead and they've been dead for centuries. You know, I think this has struck me like more than any other time travel in Trek, because usually in Trek, when they time travel, they always go back to the time they came from. So so this is a situation definitely where we're seeing them having to deal with the effects of of not, you know, just uh, straight up not not only not being able to see their people anymore, that they're dead and gone and they've been dead and gone it's for centuries, you know. But, you know, cake is eternal as as um. Uh, Burnham says. I'm going to call something that probably is not going to be, it'll be a bad, it'll be a sad moment. But I see them figuring out a way to send somebody back to to the back in time, and that's going to be Tilly. Like, I don't see her adjusting well to this. See, see, I'm going to disagree, and I think they're going to send back Georgia. You think think, I I, I don't think they're going to send her. I think she's going to find a way. I don't think she wants to. Mm. Well, the reason well, the reason I say that is because of Section Thirty One show coming up. They got to uh, find a way to get her in there. Yeah, I don't know. I I I love the moment. I love the cum badges on the wall to signify the people that didn't make it. You know, I think it was the th- that moment was there for us to reflect, for the crew to reflect, and also to have to set up that moment at the end where they can see some some semblance of Earth that was there uh, nine hundred years ago that they can relate to. So I think it was it was kind of there to set that up as well. But remember, until their family's discovery got destroyed in battle. It was a very human response to the realization, and not necessarily a sudden realization, but the realization that everything you know is no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. I see, because think about it, in the finale of last season, I think everybody was running off of adrenaline to some degree. So, you know, of course, they get behind Burnham and they, you know, go to the future, but this was the coming off of the adrenaline and realizing, oh, crap, this is my reality now. And as far as sending somebody back, I really hope they don't do that, because if they do to me, that cheapens the whole idea of them going 900 years and leaving everything behind. If they open a doorway to go back, it's it just kind of undoes all that for me. I don't think they'll do it, though. Hmm. Uh, I better shut up because I could see because because we do we keep coming back to this Calypso storyline. So I do see a situation where some one person could go back with the discovery just to get back and then they hide it out for them. Uh, so just uh, so the rest of the crew that's in the future can just walk over to go pick it up, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. This got my mind spinning. Let's <laughs> <laughs> that's too much for my head. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the most fun episodes, uh, moments in the episode. And to me, book was the the awkward relief. Now I'm not gonna say comedy, but the awkward relief of the show. Awkward but funny. Uh, I love that they used him in all sorts of sort of lighthearted, you know, situations. So first, first one I want to cover is the book Giorgio interaction. Uh, I'm gonna throw with the cow. Did you feel Booker cringing just a little bit uh, as Giorgio drilled him? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and and again, this is great acting. They played well off of each other. And, you know, you can tell when you have people that know how to 
act off of the other actor. Yeah. And they were doing that. And I, and I thought that was an awesome scene. Yeah. I was cringing for him. Like, Oh, she's not my girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) But it also shows like that maternal instinct that Giorgio has, even though this isn't her Michael, it's still this maternal bond, you know, that the two of them have to some degree. Certainly. John, you had a comment? Oh, no, I was just laughing about it when they got to talking about the girlfriend part. He's like, uh, oh, he started talking to me like, wait, I'm not going to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so I'm going to throw to Jeremy on this one. Uh, we get to see Book in a Starfleet uniform. You know, uh, how, how did you, was, was you jealous in that moment? I, I, I was jealous. I wanted to get in the Starfleet uniform, but, but did you ever expect to see him, you know, in, in the, uh, Starfleet fatigues. Yes, but never as a, like an official, like I, I never as a, like sort of like it's, you know once again going back to Voyager, sort of like a seven character where he's part of the crew but not necessarily part of Starfleet and wearing the uniform as the situation deems it. Like you know, whenever you're inspecting the ship, you know you get uniform that way you're not sticking you don't stick out like a sore thumb. But once they're gone, I can see him being back being book. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of glad that he left at the end of this episode so we can see how Burnham has changed without him, you know, at 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 her side. Um, but yeah, all the interactions with Book and Giorgio, Book and Burnham. It, you know, we had that one scene where they're getting the dilithium out of the lithium chamber, I guess. I, I just thought that was another great interaction between Book and Burnham to where she doesn't want to tell him I want you to stay and they're all they're making excuses for, you know, for each other not wanting to be together. So I, I, yeah. I thought that was just excellent writing. And all that uh, is like I call it indirect flirting that they had between them. And it wasn't really uncomfortable. It's like they were comfortable with that. Yeah. Not not to the point where like flirting, like let's get together flirting. Just like we've been together. We've been hanging out so long. Like this is just how we have fun. Like, I really enjoyed that interaction. But my favorite, my favorite moment with Book was when he came to the bridge the first time. <laughs> yeah. And Saru thanks him for bringing Burnham back. And he kind of didn't say anything. And he's kind of lost. And Burnham's kind of like, come over here. Get over here. <laughs> that was good. And he kinda, like, he walks across the bridge and he's like trying to be all macho. Like, yeah, that's my girl. But then at the same time, he's got like, oh, these people think I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> it was good. Oh, was dude. So good. And then you had a Wasakon and Detmer giving him a look when he walked on the yeah. bridge. And she gave a little, the little eyebrow raise, like, ooh, look yeah. at him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, they're going to eat him alive. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff, man. Great stuff. So let's go ahead and dive into the A uh, plot of the episode. Um, it would seem that people of Earth have built a big, beautiful wall to keep every one and anyone uh, that would be pillagers <laughs> from entering into the Earth's orbit. Um, Mexico paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Not so the wall we want, but the wall we need. <laughs> so, so, so what? What? I'm gonna throw this out to anybody willing to answer. What has Earth become when everyone is an enemy? Thoughts. Exactly what you would expect Earth to become. Like, <laughs> almost going to say that exact same thing. <laughs> like, I expected nothing less, especially when you get the explanation of the Federation leaving, and that, like, Earth is left to defend themselves, and man, like, defend themselves they did. Like, I am proud of our species for doing what they, like, they have, they still have that utopian life on Earth in the middle of a chaotic universe like that's exactly what i expect from humans like whether we have starfleet or not or the space force or not like we will survive we will figure it out like one way or another we would defend ourselves now what we also see is the problem with humanity is that we get so tied into this defense of ourselves that we kind of go blind to everybody else like we get to a point where we kind of separate ourselves from everything everybody else who we think are out to get us. Like there's no room for anyone else. There's no room for alternative thought. See, I agree with everything you just said, but I don't characterize the 
existence that we saw from these characters that were on Earth that we saw on Discovery, I wouldn't say that it was a utopia, but I agree with everything else you said. Hmm. Well, they do mention that it's it's all about self-preservation, as you mentioned, John. And and to their point, uh, when uh, Adoya makes a good point, you know, if they're already struggling and Earth is the headquarters of the Federation, it's like all eyes on them, you know, Uh, and I can definitely see why that would paint a target on their back. Go ahead. Well, no, I was, I was just, I was agreeing with you. I, I do get it, but I, I just don't agree with them continuing with this once the Federate, once Starfleet is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like at certain point, you have to, as Burnham did, you have to adjust to yeah. current times. I mean, you've gotten rid of the target that's on your back. And for them to throw up defenses like that just keeps that target painted on you, whether Starfleet's there or not. Yeah. And I, I guess what makes this situation so unique and such and much more scary than it would be otherwise is saying not only are we going to have this event that is going to destroy the whole fleet, uh, but, you know, effectively making Earth, putting Earth out there by itself. But also we're going to have we're uh, communications broke down after so many years. So you don't even know who's out there, you know. <laughs> Because uh, you can't go travel and fix the communication relays and, you know, all that type of communication equipment. So. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But it seemed like they could have been able to scan to Jupiter. I don't know. Anyway. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with all your points there. So let's go ahead and jump into Wynn and his, you know, Raiders or whatever you want to call it. And the uh, United um, Earth Defense Force. Um, were we surprised when the reveal of who the wind people were or what race they were. Did we think they were humans or was that totally a shock when George O kicked them to, you know, to, to push the conversation along? <laughs> Cause he was getting annoyed. You got to love George O, man. She's always can get it moving for you. <laughs> I, I was surprised. I was sorry. I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I did expect it to be a weird alien. Like, and they always seen them, you know, I kind of assumed, Hey, that's just some kind of helmet. I figured you would pull it off and there's still some alien underneath that. I never would expect it to be human. So the the person who played Wynn is actually one of my favorite. He actually played one of my favorite characters in Stargate Atlantis. Because mm. um, he looked familiar. It was bothering me where I knew him from. So I you know, took a lot of a good bit of digging from IMDb. But he played Todd the Wraith in Stargate Atlantis. Interesting. And one of the humans who like first came to live on Atlantis when they first got there at the beginning of the show. One of the Telosians. So that was, you know, for me, that was like a nice bit of Stargate crossover. That's not really a crossover. Hmm. Yeah, I I thought he looked familiar, but I could not tell where I knew him from. I'm like, that actor looks like I've seen him on something. But yeah, I agree. And that's cool knowing now where he came from. Yeah. And I just want to go to record and say the Discovery makes the best freaking helmets in all the television. I mean, you got the you got the um, oh, what's his name? The Harry Mudd helmet in season one. And then yeah. he, he had a different helmet on the short trick. And then you have a few of the crew members that have these weird looking robotic helmets. I know we had one, especially when we were on a Shinzo on episode one or two, but they make some awesome helmets, man. Yeah, so kudos to the costume designers. And, you know, when I first saw the helmet, the first thing I saw of, uh, I thought of was, I think it was Black Manus from um, yeah. Aquaman. Yes, <laughs> it's very similar. So any more thoughts on the, uh, I guess, the A storyline, um, you know. Burnham running out with with um, book and just going to acquire when, you know, defying all orders. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Because I think it's pretty straightforward. But, you know, again, I think the surprise there was that Burnham was doing her own thing and not asking for forgiveness rather than asking for permission. <laughs> and I think we're going to see a lot more of that as the season progresses, just because of who Michael is becoming. Well, can I can I just say we're 900 years in the future. Did nobody on this Raider ship expect them to like beam them off when they lowered the shield? Like that's happened every freaking time. <laughs> like let's make them lower the shields and we'll just beam them off. <laughs> yeah, get this dilithium lower your shields. <laughs> well, maybe it's so old that it's new again. I don't know. <laughs> 
literally the oldest trick in the book. Oh, good stuff. I didn't think about that. I was thinking, like, <laughs> how did they get them? But you're right. They beamed them over. Oh, my God. That's so good. <laughs> That's so freaking good. Now, I didn't understand why Nadoye, Captain Nadoye, didn't want Wynn to get the Discovery's Dilithium. I don't, I didn't really understand the logic there. I mean, why do they care if this group has dilithium? They have the Earth defense wall shield thing that no one can. They have more dilithium. They have more power. Hmm. Because they weren't. They weren't also. They were also coming after Earth for more than just dilithium, but just all resources in general. And the more dilithium they had, the more power they'd have to continue to attack her. Yeah. And again, the moral of the story is talk. Just talk. If you're following Starfleet principles, which, which, you know, I think was outlined in this episode, the principle Starfleet principle of diplomacy, you know, Saru and crew were able to be that liaison to each of these warring factions to, you know, make an agreement, you know, oh, you got research technology on Titan, you know, let's, let's make an agreement, share resources, come together, talk about the situation instead of trying to blow each other out of the sky. So, you know, do we think it's going to be that simple though? It's a start. It's never that simple, but it's a start. <laughs> it's a start. As is life. <laughs> it's a start. I think man. now I think now you've given this guy an idea. So he's gonna wait to earth floor his defenses and go beam some crap off. <laughs> no, you could you could tell that he was just I'm joking. Know. I'm joking. <laughs> <sighs> Glass half full. <laughs> so any new thoughts on Detmer's continued issues? I'm starting to think it's more P as post traumatic stress stress syndrome myself. And how the heck did Stamets recover so quickly? He's back to his old self, but Detmer is still having issues. I know everybody's not equal, but still. <sighs> he has the spore stuff in him, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, just well, I think Stamets is just more of an ass, and he's going to be back, he's going to be back to himself one way or another anyway. He's just on mushrooms, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, I will say that Stamets, I love the moment when he's explaining to Adira about the spore drive. Uh, you know, yeah. I knew all this stuff, but I loved seeing him do the techno babble thing and just give it all to us again. It was wonderful. Okay. Now, that was a big, I kind of, I was cringing in that moment. I was like, why are was, you telling her all this? Yeah, like, from, I was like, stop. <laughs> yeah, from like, I don't know this person's point of view. Like, why are you giving all the goods? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you on that. And I kind of half expected that to be some. I don't know why. I was thinking that maybe she was going to turn into some sort of alien or something, and he knew <laughs> about it. Like I just couldn't understand. Like I thought maybe it scanned her and realized she was a, a, a I don't know, something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a cue. I don't know. I was yeah. expecting her to be something else. Like I couldn't. I couldn't wrap my brain around why he was giving her all this information so willy nilly. Yeah, he's very trusting in that moment for sure. Like I was almost sure he was gonna kill her after he got to tell her. <laughs> all right, uh, let's go around the horn and get everybody's ratings for this episode. And this time, I will go first. I really enjoyed this episode. I'm gonna give it a four point two. I really, really had fun with this. I'm leaving a little room for improvement, uh, but I, I really, I really had fun with this episode. I had e enjoyed it even much more going back and watching it again. Uh, just great stuff. I think Captain Ndoye was great. Um, yeah, just a great Star Trek episode, I feel. And uh, John, what are your, what, what do you rate this episode, man? Oh, so I started this episode when we started talking, I, I said, I, it's going to be a problem because this was also such a great episode. And I hate to keep saying five, <laughs> but it, I, I keep going back to like, OK, I rated episode one at five. So is this better or worse or the same? And I can literally not say any beyond any shadow of a doubt that this was worse than the first one. So it's at least as equal or better. And high as we can go is five. So I got to go five. Yeah, man. The logic works. What about you, Jeremy? Well, I don't have the same conflict that Jonathan has. I did. I did really enjoy the episode. I, it was it was a great episode. Probably not as strong as the first two, but it was necessary to get us to the next episode. So I want to give it I'm going to give it a four and a four point five. Nice, nice, nice. Cal Jones, what do you think, man? 
So I'm going to steal everything that Jeremy just said and just say that, Jeremy, I like what you just said, but I will change my numbering from the number you gave, and I'm going to give it a 3.95. I enjoyed it, but I'm I'm downgrading to a 3.95 because before I started doing research for our review, I remembered the first two episodes. I didn't remember some of the key details of watching one time through of the third episode. So because of that, I'm going to give it 3.95. But I did have fun with it, and I think it was a good episode. Awesome sauce. Well, once again, thank you guys for joining. You know, if you're listening out there, what did, what did you rate this episode? What do you think on a scale of one to five, uh, zero to five? What, what what do you think about this episode? And let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on, listening to, watching, podcast related or otherwise. And we'll start with you, Jeremy. What you been up to, man? So the one of my obsessions, uh, uh, binging obsessions, is watching The Crown on Netflix. And season oh. four is coming out, I think, in two weeks. So I've been going back and revisiting that show. Nice. You know, kind of hyping myself back up for it. And my, one of my favorite shows growing up, as a prison drama on HBO, was on HBO Max. So I've been kind of flip-flopping in between. All right. So that's Oz. And what was the other show? The Crown. The Crown on Netflix. Cool. Jonathan, what about you, man? Pardon you. Uh, so, as I said earlier, I've been working a lot. I hadn't had much time to do anything, but there is times early in the morning when I go to work and I'm kind of in the kitchen by myself, I listen to podcasts. And I am a Joe Rogan podcast listener, and I listen to one of his most recent episodes from a guy named Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris is a computer scientist. He's worked in Silicon Valley for many years. He's worked for Google. He's, along with a partner of his, founded a company called Center for Humane Technology. Uh, and basically, they're, the company is working with other large tech companies to kind of reimagine how we use technology and, you know, be able to use it smart, smarter and not let it destroy us. But during that podcast, he mentioned a book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Mm. And basically, this is a dystopian social social fiction novel. Uh, but basically, it's a guy talking about, you know, society now and where it's headed. And it's largely based off of social media. And he makes a he has a part, the very first opening in his book. Um, and he mentions a couple of books written back in the 40s and basically the same novels. And these two, pe- two, two guys in the 40s pretty much said the problems that we're having with social media. And I, I, I oh, won't wow. go into That's it. Interesting. Uh, but you guys definitely should check it out. Uh, kind of listen to the Joe Rogan episode with Tristan Harris. Uh, it's just he talks about how these algorithms on Facebook and Twitter and all that are kind of directing us towards self-destruction and not necessarily saying, oh, my God, social media is going to kill us all. But, you know, these guys in the 40s are basically saying in one part of one part of the book, it says, you know, it's not that we're going to have to worry about people taking books away from us. It's the fact that we're going to worry about technology and future future inventions making it to where we no longer want to read anymore. Mm. That's going to be the social problems. And just, it's a good, it's a good listen. And you kind of listen to that uh, Joe Rogan episode. It's going to lead you down a rabbit hole. Uh, There's a movie out Tristan Harris put on Netflix now called the social distraction. I think it is Uh, broke records on its viewing first, first opening week on Netflix. So check all that out, man. We, we really need to monitor our social media usage and kind of just back away from it as much as possible. Yeah. So that's um, the Joe Rogan podcast episode titled yeah. Tristan Harris. And it's episode number 1558. If you want to go look it up. Cal Jones, man, what's your parting gift? I will say that if anyone is a fan of Doctor Who, check us out on Discussing Who, where we are currently in the 2011 series of Doctor Who. So DiscussingWho.com. All right. And my parting gift is a wonderful episode of a wonderful television show. And that's going to be The Mandalorian. Chapter nine. The Marshall. Awesome. 
great great stuff man good stuff and just just check it out if you have disney plus you will not you you will be very happy you will not be disappointed it's great great stuff yeah so once again thanks to everyone for joining what is your parting gift if you're out there listening what should we be checking out that we're missing send all that in to fans at discussingtrek.com or at discussingtrek on any and all the social medias once again guys thank you for listening and until next time live long and prosper Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. just not the same for you after Tony Stark's in-game snap? Are you desperately looking forward to the Snyder Cut to regain your love for the Justice League? Disappointed by the return of Skywalker? And how angry are you about Star Trek killing Picard only to reanimate him in a golem? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need help. And I'm here to give it to you. I'm Tasha Pierce, host of After the Snap podcast. Every Sunday, join me as I present reasons for you to fall in love again with sci-fi. After the Snap, virtual group therapy for all of sci-fi's depressing moments. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are served. Discussing Network.